Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Trying to Figure It Out. I'm Ali Petiti, and with me this week, we have a wonderful guest, Lennon Torres. I'm so excited that you're here. On Trying to Figure It Out, we do exactly that. We try to figure everything out. We talk about things from relationships to mental health to body image and so much more, and I am so excited to have Lennon with us today. You are a former Dance Mom star, a fellow USC alum, And I also just want to know what you're doing now and so much other stuff about you. So welcome to Trying to Figure It Out. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm very excited. The title of the podcast is perfect. Thank you. It's as as the older I get, the less I know is what I tell people. Literally. Time goes faster. I know less. My life is a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's just crazy. I keep waiting for for the day that I wake up and I'm like, I'm an adult. And it's just not ever going to happen. I know. So. Here How we are. old are you, by the way? 24. 24, okay. Before we get started, I'm going to address that today I had a chiropractor come over and I had cupping done. So you are going to see that there are marks on my neck. I would like to just call it out now and say that they are not hickeys. And I just want to prevent any mean comments that might come because I can't cover it up. Every time I move, it comes yeah, out a no. little more. So I know of you from USC, but I also know you as a former Candy Apples dance member from Dance Moms. I want to give you the chance to introduce yourself, though, because no one knows you better than yourself. So can you give us a 30-second summary of who is Lennon Torres? That is such a big question it right is. off the bat. Um, <laughs> my name is Lennon Torres, um, pronouns she, her, hers. I am a dancer. Public-facing trans woman is kind of the term I use. Um And just someone trying to figure it out. Being an adult is crazy. Um, And I've worked in politics and I'm currently working in public affairs now. Again, just every day that comes is a new adventure. And that's who London is. It's just one big adventure. I love it. Can I ask, is there a story behind how you chose the name Lennon? Oh, I was hoping you were going to ask that, actually. (laughs) I forgot to ask you to ask me that. So thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Um, I love telling the story of my name because so my name previously was Zachary, and I don't really have a bad relationship with that name. I think a lot of people have different reasons for like calling it their dead name and, and that being a trigger for them. But Zachary always felt very me and it was honestly a kind of in the whim moment to change it and so my name was Zachary Michael Torres and I hated Michael for sure that was just never going to be a thing for me and so the first name change I did was I swapped out Michael for Lennon because my middle name was after my grandfather who's obsessed with the Beatles Um, and so I was like if I'm going to give away that name like get rid of that one I might as well swap in something that he'll love and Lennon has just always been a uh, name in my family that we've all loved so I snatched that as my middle name and then quickly moved it into the first um, first name slot I have two middle names that like I let my mom choose because she was very bitter that I changed my name in like a funny way, not in like a bad way. Um, (laughs) But like she was just like, okay, well, if you get to pick your first name, then like can your mom at least choose your middle names? And so I told her I was like, okay, fine. And she actually called me ironically on the day that my court order for Lennon went through and I, I went through a whole court order to change my gender and my name. And she had no idea. It was just like a random Tuesday. And she called me and was like, I figured out your middle name. And I was like, did you track me? Like, do you know I'm at the courthouse right now? And she was like, no, no, you are. And I was like, yeah. And she was like, so your middle name is Monroe. 
And I was like, I don't know why that just felt so right. So we had Monroe and then my Nana passed away a couple weeks ago and her middle name was Adelina. So my mom tacked that in there too because all her daughters have two middle names. So Lennon, Monroe, Adelina. What a mouthful. So that's the story of the name. That's a beautiful story. Before we get into more of your story transitioning I want to if you're down do a little bit of tea dishing and stirring the pot talking about your experience on dance moms and your childhood overall oh I, I've got the tea I've got a lot of it before we start yeah I just where like to, to start <laughs> I'm actively doing a rewatch of oh dance that's moms. good I watched it when I was younger mm-hmm. which was like I think more normal I think when I'm watching it now I have like this internal battle where I'm like interested but then I'm also like am I like a terrible person for being like drawn into like watching a form of child abuse like it's like really I have like this really weird struggle back and forth yeah in my head. I think a lot of people have that I'm on season four I think and I haven't seen you in a bit I was on a lot of season three yeah because that was right after I did the the competition show before that so that was in 2012 and then dance mom season three was when i came on and then they do it in half season so i was on three 3.5 and i think i was on four and 4.5 and then i was there for five too and seven for one episode i think a lot of people have that reaction when they watch the show it's I mean, personally for me, like if I'm in the episode that I'm seeing a clip from on my TikTok feed or wherever it is, it's it's a weird feeling. But when yeah. I'm not in the scenes, I have to laugh. Like you just have to laugh. Like what there was this one do? scene that I, I literally tell everyone about it like it's my professional job. But there's a scene where Abby is doing pyramid or whatever. And Nia did something happened and she didn't finish the dance or whatever. Yeah. Um, God forbid. And um, <laughs> Ka- uh, Abby's like, Nia, I was in the theater when a man's hand was severed from a prop coming down from the ceiling and then she like slaps her paper and like it's like supposed to be like the hand being severed and then holly's interview she's like listen she's like if Mia's hand is severed she's not going to finish the group routine and i'm like <laughs> the fact that that was the example that she and it was like used, talked about like as was, if it's normal uh, yeah as if it was normal <laughs> i'm like i have been in the professional dance industry for quite some time now and i have never in my life but in a situation where I felt like I needed to finish a routine if my hand was severed. That is like not a culture we should be perpetuating. And, you know, it's fun to laugh at for freaking sure. Like it is so It's all you really can do because it's it's out there and like it happened. And like, what are we going to do now? I like have recently been reconnecting with like older producers that I'd worked with it's just such a funny thing as an adult to go back and talk to them in real time and you know one of them whose name's John Carella he's fantastic and he was like I can't believe we we put you guys through that and I'm like you know what yes it was it was a lot but I am grateful for it and and I can't blame any one person for the things that happened on that show some of them were great some of them were not you know on the cast and on the crew and I think that it is a big old gray area like you know you talk about so many questions when I watch it yeah well shoot away I guess first off how did you first get into dancing and how did that transition to you ending up on Dance Moms so I was this like little energetic 
honestly attention whore of a kid and (laughs) I just craved being watched and so I knew I wanted to do something at the time I was doing baseball and weirdly enough I really enjoyed baseball as like a young little boy like I just it was fun for me it was competitive it like gave me something to do but I just it felt weird like I was on a team with all boys and like clearly that's just not gonna work but I had a neighbor who was dancing at a local studio and she would always leave at like 3.45 or 4 p.m. after school and be like, hey, I'm going to dance and disappear for like three hours. And I would be bored at home because I was like, well, I want to do something. Everyone else is going to do things and I'm not. So one day I just ended up going with her to dance class and it was history from there. I went to like one jazz class and it was this small studio in Litchfield Park, Arizona, which is like very West Phoenix, um, very suburban, not a lot of diversity. Like it was just this small little boutique studio and I was obsessed. It was so beautiful to fall in love with something at that age. And I'm really grateful for that. And so uh, I hit the ground running. My mom, she knew she had a queer kid on her hands and like she didn't really know what that meant, but she knew that like a public school in Arizona was probably not gonna be the best fit for me. And so I started going to an art school in fifth grade and then was at that studio, but then that studio closed down And then I went to a different studio that was an hour away from my home. So my school was an hour away and then my dance studio was an hour away. At like 10 years old, would leave my house at like 6.15 in the morning because school would start at 7.45. And we would like pick up all the carpool kids and then drive to school, be at school until three, then immediately get in the car, eat on the way to the studio, get to the studio by 3.50 and then dance from four to nine. And that was like every single day except for Wednesdays. And Sundays I got to breathe. And so that's how I met the one of the creators of Dance Moms, John Corella. He um, trained at the same studio at one of the nationals. Um, we were at, it was called West Coast Dance Explosion. It was 2011 and I got runner up that year. It was like the best I've ever done at a nationals. And Abby was there for whatever reason. Um, and I remember actually, funny story, as my sister was on stage and she did like a leap or a grand jeté, and I like screamed in the in the back of the room. I was like, "Yeah, Mia!" And Abby like turned around at me and was like, "This is a theater." And I was like, "We're in a ballroom in the Mirage in Las Vegas. This is not a theater." And one, I'm not the only one hooting and hollering in yeah. this. Like, let's take a tone down. Not really. I'm like, we won't talk about etiquette. And that was my first interaction ever with Abby. And then after that. Um, we got a call from John and he said he wanted us to audition for the show called My Kid Can Dance, which is what Abby's ultimate dance competition was called. And so she wasn't even involved in it. We did the whole audition process, not knowing anything about her really. Right. And we eventually made it all the way through. I went to dance to film Abby's Ultimate on a high because like I won nationals that year. I would say at that age, I was like at my peak. It was How like, old were you? I had just turned 13. I was eliminated off of Abby's Ultimate and immediately they were like, do you want to do Dance Moms and not go to Abby's team because she wants you there. And I was like, so why wouldn't I go there? And they were like, well, that's how it works. That's welcome how it to works. reality TV. Yeah, welcome to <laughs> reality TV. And so then that's how I became a candy apple. Oh my God. Okay, so I feel like most people 
in the dance mom's world. Obviously, everyone knows about like the battle between Kathy and Abby. Everyone knows more how Abby behaved in the studio. As a watcher, I was saying before that I'm very intrigued by Candy Apples because <laughs> the way it was abusive blatantly at the ALDC, what was it like? being on the candy apple side like was it real with kathy like did she really hate abby or was it like all for show i'll start with i think the biggest misconception about candy apples has always been that we lived and trained there and it always used to drive me and kathy and everyone crazy that abby's biggest argument was well, you didn't train there, so these aren't your students. And, like, she's not wrong. We were not Kathy's students. Kathy didn't teach me right. ever. I've never taken a dance class from Kathy ever. It frustrated me because I was like, why are you saying that? You know we're filming a show. It angered me when anyone on camera knew that what we were doing was heavily produced, right. yet would still point out the things that were heavily produced. And then it left the person on the other end of that unable to say anything because what are you supposed to say like for example every single time every time kathy walks into an aldc dressing room with the moms who put us there the producers, producers. who Obviously. like i mean it's, it's it absurd. blows my mind that like people don't realize that like i mean i hated the narrative a megaphone i know it's i'm like, like ridiculous i'm like <laughs> i mean granted she had some some grit to even do that but like everyone's like oh they're stalkers they do that i'm like we are paid to be here. Like, like we you're part of the we show. Are you're here on the show. Like drama. we are walking into your dressing room. Like this is what the show is. And it used to, <laughs> as a young kid, I just used to be like, I wanted to scream like, we're not stalkers. We're we're here to make your ratings go up. It always looked like we on the Candy Apples or the rival team were like the ones annoying people or doing this. But it's like we had a job to do. Yeah. And that was like the fact of the matter. And like so much of the fighting on Dance Moms was in good sport. Like my favorite example is Christy and Kathy. I don't know if they're friends now, but they were always friends, which really throws That's people for a loop. so crazy. Because they knew how to pick on each other. Kathy knew that, like, making fun of Christy's nose was fair game. She never would go for Chloe. Like, Christy used to call Kathy Danny DeVito. And, like, there was just all these things. Like, it was, like, fun jokes and, like, fun fights. You right. know? Like, that's what made it fun. they knew where they could go. Yeah. But as the seasons progressed, it, it started to get more real. And people would go for the jugular. None of us had done TV before. Of course. And so... They at the beginning, they're like listening and, and oh, OK, that's going to make for a good episode. Oh, oh this is going to help my kid. And then they all, you know, learned and, and practice and then figured out, oh, well, the public is perceiving us like this. So I need to no matter what, protect my image. And, and then yeah. it just got so real so fast. Yeah. And then you also asked about Kathy and Abby, which Kathy and Abby were friends and really good friends up until Kathy hit her with her purse. So there's like an episode in season yeah, three. It was like, I think my second episode. We had won that week and it drove Abby crazy and she threw water at Kathy. And like, that. you don't do like you don't get physical. Like yeah. that was always the line. And so then Kathy was like, I mean, I don't even think she hit her that hard. I was like, she just gave her like a I'm not I'm not team Kathy or Abby anymore for my own personal reasons. But like at that moment in time, I was like, it was just a little bump. Like you threw water on her. Like, yeah, grow up. You like, did start it. like, yeah, you started it. Like my mom always said, you don't have to start the fight, but you always finish it. But <laughs> I just thought that that was like such a weird thing. But it was literally that moment 
that they were not friends anymore. Like that a switch switched in Abby. It wasn't on Kathy's side. It was on Abby's side. And that week onward made for incredible TV because it got real. It was before really that, real. like my very first episode ever, before the cameras were even rolling at competition, Abby came in and said hi to me and my mom. How are you doing? How has it been since being on my show? Like so happy to have you here. Like it was like really yeah. cordial. And then it would be like the cameras were on and then they'd be like, and it would like they'd start yelling and it was all fun and games and right. that's why it started off more fun than it ended is what so i'll say crazy i'm laughing because you were talking about the dressing room stuff and i literally just watched an episode where kathy brought everyone in to abby's dressing room early and they like hid behind the curtain where the girls get changed oh, I would and waited for the team that. to come in and then the minute they came in like they all came out of the that's curtain, so it was just like crazy but like obviously like that was something they were told to do. Like, that's like what adult in their right mind would also, do that. Like, no team ever has their own dressing room like that. Like, I was, I literally had that thought today. I was like, how many rooms no, do these we don't, we, dance competitions have for every single that's literally not company a thing. to have their own little room? Like, no. it, it looks so real. Like, I you're mean, watching it and it looks like that's just normal. But, like, then you see how many people are competing that day. And it's like, this can't be normal. We were the only – I always used to feel so bad because I have – I had always been on both sides of of it because I was still competing with my home studio full time. Right. And so I, I knew what it was like to have a 12-hour comp day. It was awful. It I was exhausting. It looks- and so the, the hardest part was, like, okay, well, ALDC and CADC, we're all going to – go at the very end back to back and we're going to do our routines twice because they did one for the competition for to be scored and then one they would like bring cameras on stage and like film so, closer so up. So you did them twice. Yeah, they would go, we would go. Were the they scores go, ever fake for go. the show? I don't. So that actually I don't know. So I don't know if any of the scores were fake and or predetermined, but what I do know is that there was a lot of bias I mean, oh, I'm all right. I'll say it. I just they they went to the same competitions and a lot of those competitions were boutique competitions that were put on by Lifetime and advertised as the filming of a show. Right. Come bring your dancers and witness the filming of an episode of Dance Moms and you'll compete against oh, them. Wow. But like, didn't anyone ever ask themselves why the top three was always aldc and cadc i don't care who you are even in favor of us like like i don't care who you are but you don't win every competition like you just don't there are random ones there are random judges that don't like you for whatever reason like it just it weirds me out that no one like realizes that i'm like hey they're at like their thousandth masters of dance a lot of those dancers are just really freaking amazing and a lot of the wins they had were so worthwhile but I don't know. You zoom out and it, it it's really not as accurate of a depiction of competition that you yeah. would think. So how were you navigating and thinking about your gender identity when you were growing up on Dance Moms? I always mentioned that Dance Moms was like a big pause button for me. And what I mean by that is I was so busy and was so caught up in so many things. I mean, personal development was not on my agenda. Right. And and I think that that's kind of sad because when I think about 
13, 14, 15, those are like such formative years. I was just so busy. I was flying across the country sometimes twice a month. Yeah. I And then also doing a really intense art school curriculum and academic school curriculum and competing at my home studio and then also competing at CADC. I view it as like a big pause. And I know I, I said that in my first round of press um, a couple years ago when I came out and there were other voices that were much louder than mine, both literally and figuratively, talking about their experiences on the show. We were in the same New York Times article. It was JoJo, and I support her a thousand percent and think what she's doing is amazing. I went first in that interview process. They like asked me for some quotes, and then she kind of came in after. It was a piece about her. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned, like, you know, like, oh, I have sympathies for Lennon. I don't remember exactly what it was, but like I didn't let any outside factors hinder my growth and development. And that did rub me the wrong way. I'm not going to lie. I went back and I was like, that kind of like was like a little jab in a way. And and maybe I am very sensitive and, and I'm sure it was not meant like that. But yeah. I do think that it's important as people that are being watched at times to admit when you're not well and to admit that things can be challenging and that you're not always going to have this grasp on what's going on around you. And like yeah. during dance songs, I did not have a grasp of what was going on around me. And I wish I could go and give that little kid a hug and say, you know, you're not doing great right now. And you're like a little mentally all over the place, but it's okay because that's what life is about. You're yeah. always good. And so I do kind of reject the narrative of like, don't let anything get in your way. And it's kind of like a similar idea of like, leave your bullshit at the door. It's something that I've been wanting to kind of talk about publicly without it being like, like a, a thing. It's not that it's just like, you know, I, I want people to know it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. And to also feel safe enough to say like, you know, at that time, other things were getting to me. Like, yeah. that's a very normal thing. And I just think that that should be more relevant. What you just told me about JoJo, I agree that what she's doing is amazing and what she's promoting is amazing. But I also think that there's like a lack of like humanity to her and relatability in the sense that like she's like so straight faced and like continues marching on and is just like, I'm famous. I want to be famous. My car has my face on it six thousand times and this is me and I've always been me and she has the space to be her and not have an issue being her. I have to ask with all that being said, what is your opinion on Jojo Siwa and the never ending TikTok drama about her and her relationships? I want to first and foremost say that like what she has done has been a lot of or a lot of what she's done has been really awesome. Yeah. I talked about a while back in some interviews that, you know, her having the first same sex couple on Dancing with the Stars like was really, really awesome and good for her because, you know, that show reaches an audience of middle America where she's from. I think she's mm -hmm. from Nebraska or she is from Nebraska. Yes. I've seen women dance with women and men dance with men for so many times like that, you know, that's old news for the dance world, honestly. But I do think her putting it on a stage like Dancing with the Stars and sure. in that arena was really impactful. And I think what she has done has really amplified visibility for the queer community. Yeah. Just by being visible, by being loud, by being proud, like that all serves a purpose. A hundred percent. But I did see one TikTok of, 
I think it was like two of her exes maybe like talking about things and you know I'll I will not insert myself in their relationships or anything like that but you know I I will say it made me feel for them for what they did share and and I I don't know Jojo and I as an adult really um I only really knew her as a kid and even then it was not that you know we weren't super close yeah but from an outsider looking in I do think that there could be some more humanity behind her brand. Yeah. And just like messaging. I would love to know if she's not okay one day. Yeah. And I'm already like I'm the kind of person that like argues with myself in my head. And yeah. like I'm already saying, well, that doesn't need to be her responsibility. Like yeah. she doesn't have to do that. And she doesn't. And if she doesn't want to share that part about her, then like she doesn't have to do that. Like yeah. that is that's what's fair. I was the kind of kid that I was confident as a kid, but I was not confident about that part of me when I was a kid and no matter what I looked like on the outside. And so having her as a role model is one way to look at it, but also it it can be really hard for kids and for her audience is very young. It can be really hard for them to see themselves in her without a side of humanity and honest depictions of where they're at. And again, it doesn't mean she has to share that, but it is my observation. Like I, yeah. I wonder what the the kids who aren't as bold as as she is are thinking when they watch her. Like, I, like is it encouraging or is it like I'm never gonna be that loud or and I proud? Wish I was like that. Or I yeah. wish. And it's like the way that I make choices about what I do and what I say is what would like the little Lennon need to hear. I appreciate it and thank you for being so open. There was a specific like time period on Dance Moms when Kathy put together a team of all boys. What was said on the show is like a team of all boys is more slated to win because they want to encourage boys to keep dancing. In that moment, what do you feel like was going on in your mind? And now looking back on it, what is your perception of that mentality? There's so many things I want to say right now. There's this like big notion of like, they're called penis points, PP points. And I heard about that shit like from day one and it used to piss me off. At the time they'd be like, oh, like he's only with scoring because he has a penis and like penis points and he's just getting all the attention because he's a boy. And like, I heard that so many times and I was like, sure. Back um, to the what, matter what is like, absolutely. It? I was probably getting favoritism, but I was working my freaking ass off. It did aggravate me growing up because it, I felt like a lot of the time it erased a lot of the work that I did. Kathy did the boys team. I don't really know whose idea it was, um, but I think it, it threatened the ALDC because of that very reason. And they weren't wrong to feel like that because yeah. that bias is true. And again, it made for great TV, so... I remember too. So there was like a random period of time where they were pondering the thought of giving CADC their own show. That was the whole period of like the Red Shore episode. Anthony at the time was so incredibly rude and so disrespectful to everyone involved in the shooting process. Um, And that I felt was when I started to feel like I needed to be done. And it was just like such such an unsafe space for me because, you know, it was like, well, she doesn't want to wear these shorts and bull. And it's like, no, it's not that. It's that I literally like don't want the entire 
world to look at my penis. Like, yeah. like, sorry. And I, at the time, I couldn't articulate that. I just didn't want to wear the shorts. Like, yeah. I wore I wore tights. I wore dance belts. I wore all these things yeah. at home in my studio. But like, this was a TV show. And like, talk about hypersexualization of children. The dance industry. Like, 100%. I look at the costumes. Like, I'm like, it's it's, it's so crazy. And so it got bad then because that's when like gender really hit the ground like he was making the boys do push-ups and then we there was this one episode they brought us to like a gym and made us work out one of them started crying because we were exhausted we were rehearsing all day and because we weren't man enough they brought us to a gym like who thought that that would be a healthy thing to do it and scream be a man be strong i'm just like i have so many thoughts and so many words for whoever came up with that episode and shame on everyone who let it happen it was honestly so crazy like now that i'm reflecting no, back on it it was like the double that standard was not portrayed as much in no, the show like, it, there was a lot of like silencing of the candy apples side like yeah. you guys were there to serve a purpose of being the competition and being the rivals and you guys didn't get a chance to speak or have a confessional or have like a moment to say how you were feeling at the time. Like there's the mystery behind the students on Kathy's side. And when we were given those confessionals or like given those opportunities, like I was scared to speak up. I really appreciate you sharing. It's information that I feel like is super important because as the show continuously gets rewatched and new generations of kids watch it still. So I think that it's important to have the context and the background of knowing where are you guys now? How are you doing now? How do you view what you went through? I think for so long when I was always asked about dance moms, if I'm just so honest, like I always sugarcoated everything and would say, you know, I'm so grateful for the opportunity and you know, all the people like there's so many nice people on that show. And, and all that is true. Like I never, I've never once lied about my time on dance moms, but there was a level of shame that I felt um, talking about it and in sharing about my experience because I wasn't one of the main ones on Abby's team and I wasn't filming every week for however long they filmed. Yeah. And my experience was very different. But I think as I'm older, I'm like, we all had different experiences and it's, I'm really glad everyone is finding a way to share theirs. You're allowed to share your thoughts and you should share your thoughts. And just because you weren't on every single episode doesn't mean that your perspective is any less than. And that is something that no one ever put on me. I put it on myself. 100%. I don't know. That's my long roundabout way of saying is like, I'm very grateful for Dance Homes and I'm even more grateful that everyone on the show is like, empowered to share their specific experience because all of us are going to have different experiences yeah. from it. I just want to validate you though and let you know that like you don't have to be Maddie or Mackenzie to sh share your experience on the show and feel validated in doing so. So yeah. you obviously have so much other stuff to share with the world and so much important stuff to share with the world but I hope you feel empowered and validated to share your experience because you were still a kid you still went through it in your own way and your experience is just as valid as anyone else who was on it every day or once every season you know thank you for saying that and and I think that's also why I was really excited to come here and talk about it today because I've grown a lot even six months ago I would have approach this interview completely different and not that it would have been ingenuine but I would have 
probably told you things not to ask me or I, you know, that I, I would have been a little bit more tie the bow on some things, but it's like, I don't see the point of that anymore. And I think as an adult, I feel most fulfilled when I bring all of myself into a room. Sure. And, and that's why I was so excited to be here today because I, that's a, that's a new thing for me. And that's been a really rewarding thing. And I think that, you know, I bring all of myself as a trans woman into what I'm doing now, whether that's my quote unquote adult job or my fun job, yeah. which is what I consider this stuff and, and things like that. It's like, you just, your most fulfilling experiences are when you're, you're, when you're a hundred percent yourself. And I for think sure. that that's something that's been different for me lately. Well, I'm so grateful that we get to get this new version of you that's comfortable. <laughs> so and dramatic. I'm like, like this just opening new up version. I mean, I think like it's been two years with give or take since you publicly came out. And I think that with that, like there's a lot of responsibility that comes with having a platform and coming out in a time where there's still growth being made and changes that need to be made and awareness that needs to be spread. Of course, it's important to make sure that you're conveying the messages that you want to convey, but it's also important to wholeheartedly be yourself and just bring that to the table because there's so much to gain from being a genuine advocate versus being an advocate who is doing it without your personality. Your personality is what's going to change people's opinions and minds. Like there has to be you to it. And that's the only way that you're going to perk new ears and change the world in ways that other people have tried and have made progress on their own as well. But ever, there's so much room for progress and there's so many different audiences and people to spread awareness to. So I think that you being comfortable and coming more into yourself and just being confident in who you are, like you have to give yourself the credit that it takes time as well. You know, it's a lot of change that you are experiencing every single day. Yeah, I think my sister's coming up a lot today. <laughs> hey, girl. Um, but she told me, and I don't even know if she remembers this, but like when I started feeling like myself for the first time ever, she said that it was like I finally took a deep breath and like I could breathe. And when my sister told me that, it like made me so sad and happy at the same time mm -hmm. because I'm like, oh, how oh how wonderful it would have been to like feel like this the whole time. 100%. I feel like I've learned so much about <laughs> you and gotten so much insight, but I would say I have one more topic I want to touch on. It's been two years. What has your dating experience been and just in general like what advice would you want to give to anyone listening right now who is struggling with dating as a trans woman so this is definitely the first time that i have ever talked about dating i think publicly it was really scary and it, it's something that i still don't have a bearing or like a grounding on it and part of the reason i i'm feeling inclined to speak about it now is i wish that there was somebody talking to me at that age being younger when that was such a big fear for me yeah to just be like it's gonna be okay like there are good people out there and like I in this past year can confidently say that like I have had a very fulfilling dating and sex life as a trans woman and I just did not hear anyone else say that when I was growing up and yeah. so it was just such a fear for me and it still is 
a little bit of a fear for me. I mean, all my friends right now are getting into relationships and I'm definitely in my like single girl era this past year. And I think it's been really empowering for me because it's the first time that I've been able to live as a girl and just like feel like a girl and like it feels fan fucking tastic. Like it's it's like definitely something I have been enjoying. But I wish there was more dialogue on like what it means to date as a trans woman um, specifically because there were so many questions I had and I'm quite literally just figuring it out by doing it it. and living (laughs) it. And I have to say first and foremost, like I've had a lot of really great experiences and my first goal when I came out was like, I'm getting bottom surgery as quickly as I can. Like that is my first step. I want it to yesterday. Like I got on my first call with my very first ever um, like HRT doctor. And I was like, how soon can I get a freaking vagina? When I started dating and started having very fulfilling sexual experiences, romantic experiences. I didn't feel that big of a sense of urgency to have that surgery. Um, And it just so happened that I ended up having top surgery in um, October of this past year. And that was a really rewarding experience for me. And am I dying to have another surgery? No. And does the surgery mean I'm any less of a woman? Also, no. You know, transitioning is, is a lifelong practice. And Everyone is going through it, even if you're trans or not. Like, yeah. I always say, like, you know, what were you wearing five years ago? Or what? who were you talking to? Who were your friends? What kinds of things did you like to do? What food did you like to eat? Like, all of that has changed and transitioned as you've become yourself. And that's what I describe transitioning like to other people. Like, For sure. we are just figuring ourselves out and it just may look different than you figuring yourself out not every trans person's transition experience is going to be the same and for me bottom surgery although I would love that and I and it's something I for sure want and if I would have gotten it two years ago I would not have regretted it I guarantee it but now that I'm living a fulfilling and happy life it's not top of mind anymore. And I don't feel like I need to change my body for anyone other than myself. And myself doesn't feel like I need that right now. And so I'm not going to do it. Since we're on the topic of dating, like, you know, I want to emphasize that like as trans women, as queer women, as, as, as anybody, like, you know, safety is top priority. Like, I am very lucky and have not been in any like unsafe situations, like physically unsafe situations. As much as I want to sit here and be like, you can do it. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, push through, like go on as many dates as you want. But like, as a trans woman, there are just things that you have to do. Like, I have to display on my profile that I'm trans. Like, a lot of the time I try to work it in a conversation over messaging with all this like online dating shit. Every time... Uh, if I'm out having a good time with someone and they're like, oh, like, I want to go home with you or like, you should come home with me. Like, that's like what we do in our 20s. But like, there's just a whole other layer of that that I have to think about. Like the most recent one, like I was at the bar with like one of my friends and he like had a friend and it was like where we were like vibing and like having a good time. But then like I shut down because the week before I was like, thought I was really hitting off, hitting off with this guy who was a friend of a friend and I just didn't think I needed to have the trans talk because he was a friend of a friend and I thought maybe like he just knew 
And, you know, I'd been having so many great experiences and I like let my guard down a little bit and ended up going home with him. And it was not a good experience. Like I got got to, you know, that part, you know, we're all adults. I was like, okay, well, we need to have this conversation. And then it was like, holy shit, like the whole demeanor changed, everything changed. And like, Again, I don't even know who to blame in that situation. Like, I don't know. These are the answers I don't know. And I don't usually talk about things I don't know. So this is weird. I appreciate it. Feeling very vulnerable. I think there's a lot of people who will be listening to this that will really appreciate it. Yeah, I just like, I don't know. And I just left that situation feeling so shitty. And then the week later was when I was at the bar and it got to that part of the night. And then I shut down. I was like, well, that's not fair to myself. Like, I shouldn't shut down this opportunity And then I ended up having another really great experience and like, I don't know what the right answer is. And I just want more people to talk about it because it's like, how do you date in this world as a queer person in a queer body? That kind of leads me to wanting to ask you, and I hope this is coming across as sensitive as possible. And it's kind of like in the vein of not knowing, but thinking it's important to talk about. Can you give to what you have figured out or do know Can you give to like the listeners who don't know anything about this, don't have any prior knowledge, what is some of the language that should be used around the dating life as a trans woman? Like, do you, are you a straight woman? Like when you're talking to a guy at a bar, is he a straight man? Are you looking for a heterosexual relationship? Like, and I'm sure it's nuanced. Every person is different. So you as a trans woman versus someone else as a trans woman might have a different sexuality. That's a totally separate thing. But from your experience, can you shed some light on that? Well, first and foremost, that was very sensitive and you're very polite and kind. It was a very (laughs) kind way of asking that. I think first and foremost, treat the person that you're talking about as the person they are. A trans woman is a woman. And so like I am a woman in this dating world. Mm -hmm. And the way that I describe it is like there are so many different ways to be a woman. And this is my way. And that's Ali's way. And I think that when you look at it like that, it can be a little bit more clear because genitalia and like what's below the belt is like so different from like your your gender identity and the way that you express yourself like and it it can be very different from your sexual preferences and so I think to help people understand like if a trans woman is in a relationship with a straight cis man like I personally would view that as like a like a straight like that is a straight woman and that is a straight man and what they do behind closed doors is totally on them and none of my fucking business you know and that's the way that I view it there's also just this idea an umbrella of queerness that I I have found comfort in because you know when I first came out and started dating as a woman I was like oh yeah I'm a straight woman to I am but I'm not really like I feel like for me I sit under this umbrella of queerness and everything I do inherently is queer because my body is queer Mm -hmm. and that is just who I am and so I don't view myself as a straight woman because I feel like it erases a lot of parts of myself Mm -hmm. but that may be different for a lot of people and I, I think another question too with the how it relates to the other person when when you're like you were mentioning like well is that guy straight like are you looking for like what are you looking for like 
I'm just looking for someone that's attracted to me for me. Mm-hmm. And like whatever that is, is what I'm looking for. And that's something that I I think is important. And then if like how that makes the other person identify, like that's a conversation with them and themselves them. and their yeah. journal, you for know? Sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I think that that's, a that's lot. really helpful for people listening for sure. And I appreciate you being so open. So we have covered so much <laughs> in this episode, but every bit of it has been equally meaningful. I didn't think it would be possible to talk about dance moms in such a meaningful way. I didn't think that, I mean, well, everything else I expected to be extremely meaningful, but I really appreciate everything you've shared. Before we wrap, there's something I do in every episode. It's called Alpiece 3. I love music. I used to work in music and I want to always find ways to incorporate it into this podcast. So at the end of every episode, me and my guest usually pick three songs that fit the vibe of what we've talked about. So I guess for this one, I'm going to have you share what were the three songs you were listening to in like the the deepest heat of your transition? Like oh, what, what wow. were your three most like played songs? Oh my gosh. To be like, if I'm being so honest, what I listened to the most um, was most definitely The Climb by Miley Cyrus. I love that. Um, I am like a major Hannah Montana fan and like I'm just freaking obsessed with Miley Cyrus and her philanthropy and just her genuine energy so definitely the climb that's like a jokey one eventually by tame impala it's kind of basic but like the yearn for like something better coming eventually yeah but the the now feels so good too mm-hmm. was like kind of like a theme i love that for like my last like year or two and then like i think the third one is a remix of midnight dipper by soul wax and it oh you need to get on it. Okay. It's like cruising down like the PCH, the windows down and <laughs> like it feels so it's it's really awesome. And then I have to just do a fourth one because I have to just like Please. plug my best friend. But like she has a song called Antsy um, and her artist name is Upsall. And I just really love that song as well because it's just about how this world can make you really feel weird in your skin. And sure. I really love that song. So Amazing. it's for you, Tay. Thank you so much. We are going to wrap up here. I hope that to everyone listening that you were able to take away so much from this episode. It's really amazing how composed you are, how confident you are. And I think that you are just an amazing woman. And I'm so grateful to have gotten to meet you and hopefully get to know you better after. But thank you for joining me today. I am so glad you are here. And for everyone listening, thank you for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.